0: Welcome to the 43rd episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brenda Diesendorf. And I'm Jack Neely. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're revisiting an, a common topic of backups. This conversation started because of CrashPlan's decision to ent- exit the consumer market, but this applies equally well
1: to small businesses looking for off-site backups. So, Brendan, should we revisit what backups actually are? it probably is wise. I like to think of backups as your basic time machine. Low on features, only travels in the past, but saves your rear end. And as we often say,
0: RAID is not backups. This is not a redundant copy of your data. This is a separate copy of your data that is isolated from your primary copy. So if a hard drive
1: fails... RAID protects you from hardware failure... Backups protect you usually from human failure. So if you delete something on your on your RAID system, it's gone. There is no getting it back. Um, if you realize that you deleted a file or directory three months ago and you really need that stuff back, that's what backups are for. Yeah, your replication
0: for a RAID set will happily replicate the command to delete the data across all the devices and all the other things that are connected to it. So in this sense, Dropbox is not a backup. Box.net is not a backup. These things are replication services. And all of this, today's episode came out of the decision of Code42 Software as the maker of CrashPlan to exit the home backup market for many years. I've been using them since 2010, oh. 2011,
1: easily. Yeah, I've been using them for years and years as well. And my primary reason for using them is they had excellent Linux support. And I run a lot of Linux machines. I can toss crashplan on it. It works. I've never been a a big fan of the java blob they have and they've talked about doing a more native linux client uh, cuz a java blob could be well java e um heap space anyone? Yeah. But it worked. It worked well. They already have all my backups, so I'm just sending them incrementals. And it's extraordinarily cheap where it was. Family that, plan, all my devices and my wife's stuff, and it it was done. Yeah, I think I was paying fifteen dollars
0: a month for all the computers in my house, my work machines, my personal machines, my wife's computer, the other machines, like all of it was all in one plan. And fifteen I bucks think, a month. I think it I have seven terabytes in the cloud. Which is a fair amount. I know there are other people that that bragged about having. Mr. Photographer. Well, yes. Part of the trouble with this, of course, is that that business model relies on the users who don't store very much to subsidize everybody else. And if you look at the the graveyard of internet companies, Everpix and other places, um, nobody does this anymore because unlimited storage is not possible. It's not cost effective for a company to run, and you can't subsidize. Enough to get the people who are using truly ridiculous amounts of space um, to, be, to be profitable again.
1: So fifteen dollars a month if you, you know use Amazon S3 pricing as sort of your base default, um, that's about 500 gigs a month. Which, which for many
0: users, honestly that's the size of
1: their data set or a lot smaller. But Many I systems. think there's a lot of folks that really do take advantage of, of these unlimited backup plans and push their entire photo, movie, CD-ripping sets, um, whatever they've downloaded from, uh, you know, wherever. Um, and that's terabytes and terabytes of backups, which makes... As CrashPlan said, they've noticed that their uh, patterns for home use and patterns for their business side have, quote, diverged. And I really think that's where where the issue is. That there's a lot of folks that really take advantage in ways that the service wasn't designed to handle.
0: Additionally, small business, medium business usually has a larger budget than the home, the home backup market, and they're more stable as customers. So once you have a, a medium or a medium or a small business paying into the system, they're unlikely to leave, whereas home users are more likely to find other solutions or just forget to pay, and eh, backups aren't that important.
1: And I, as an employee of FUBAR LLC, am less likely to store my prawn collection with my company. Exactly. So obviously, I have been using the Plan Home
0: system for quite some time, and I'm now evaluating other, other plans Because one of the things that my employer requires me to do is to provide backups of my own of my of all of my work product. It is on me to make sure that backups work, make sure that I test my backups. That's just part of the deal. So So, the joys of working from home. Yeah. And I have no problem with this. This is you know, I, I like having the freedom and the the responsibility to choose my own
1: systems, but it now means I need to find a new system. And backups are something I was doing before I started with my current employer, so doing that as part of my responsibilities for being an employee was was not an issue at all. But yes, now we have to find something else to back up our stuff. I had taken a quick look
0: at Backblaze and a couple of the other commercial providers, and it's tempting to go into a you know, $5 or $10 per computer per month kind of deal with unlimited backups again and just, you know, punt the problem down the road. But I feel that that's not a very smart approach considering what just happened to the crash plan home stuff. So I then started surveying, what does it actually
1: cost to use a pay-as-you-go? So the sort of leading companies in backups with crash plan exiting uh, is Carbonate and Backblaze. And Carbonate seems to have a bigger sort of commercial footprint, but I'd recommend Backblaze if, you know, between the two. Um, I've been to some conferences and heard some of the Backblaze folks talk, and they actually knew their stuff pretty well. Neither one of them support Linux. Uh, I actually cannot find any similar product that really has good Linux support. That's really what Crash Plan had going for it. Um, and dealing with an unlimited plan, there's always lots of wiggle room in the end-user license agreement with these companies about how they can lose or not lose your data. So they're definitely wanting to have a layer of legal protection for themselves. But the... The guarantees that they give you for your data aren't as as robust as you might like. When you're working with a uh, pay-as-you-go, like an Amazon or a similar service, the guarantees they give you about the reliability and redundancy of your data in their system is actually really robust, even if crash plan service was based on S3. And this is one of the places that
0: I feel very comfortable in using the pay-as-you-go model. because. First, I am not going to be anything close to the largest user of the service. There are companies that have hundreds or hundreds of petabytes or, or sorry hundreds of terabytes or even petabytes of data in s three or the other the other object stores that are available and I'm going to be putting in between three and seven terabytes depending how we slice the data s three is still kind of the king for all of this. They have the most well-known reliability they have the most nines they have lots of dedicated bandwidth in lots of places. So if you live in far-flung places, you can get stuff that's close to you for storage and for backups, which helps speed of upload and download. Um, they are also one of the, the costlier options still. Um, you, the, the premium service comes with a premium price.
1: S3 is about uh, 2 cents, uh, 2.3 cents per gig month, which isn't horrible by any means. Yeah, Amazon has a reputation. I vastly would prefer my data there than a lot of other places. Um, There are several different layers of... or Yeah, sure, there are several different flavors of S3. Uh, The default standard storage is uh, 2.3 cents a month. There's the infrequent access storage, which is... uh, $0.0125 0 0125 per gig month. That's 1.25 cents, which starts to look really appealing. Uh, but note for the infrequent access, Amazon does charge more for the REST API calls to access your data.
0: And for the retrievals. So it costs half as much to store it in infrequent access. But if you need to restore it more than I think it's twice a month, you pay more for it.
1: Then there's Glacier, which a lot of folks see as wonderfully cheap backups. And let me tell you, at 0.4 cents a gig month, it looks like a fantastic alternative. Glacier may not be designed for what your use case is. Glacier is much more targeted at uh, providing an option for businesses that need to retain data for legal and insurance purposes.
0: If Sarbanes-Oxley or HIPAA compliance or other things, possibly.
1: Yeah. I mean, if the United States gets hit by a meteor and the lawyers still demand you cough up that data, um, Glacier is probably what you're looking for. So what makes Glacier not a fantastic option for home-based backups or, or really small business backups as well is it. Amazon charges quite a bit to access the data under very specific circumstances. So,
0: That said, if if you're looking at backing up things like business or tax records that are small and you know you probably will never have to access them again but you have to keep them somewhere, Glacier is a great choice.
1: If it's something you know that you probably never have to access, that's what Glacier is for. I have used my backups and You have used your backups. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I have, I mean, basic case, um, my MacBook Pro, the first one I got, um, I fried. Uh, I took it to the Apple Genius Bar and they said, hey, you fried your MacBook. And they offered to do a motherboard replacement for me. And then they were like, no, this is a brand new MacBook. Here, just take a new one. And I took the new one home, I plugged it into Plan and sucked down my data, and it was the same machine again. So I've used my backups, and I want the ability to have pretty quick, a pretty reasonable access to them.
0: I generally use a USB hard drive with Time Machine on it as a local restore point for things like that exactly. I want to be able to order a new hard drive and get my machine back online without the internet if possible. For me, the offline, the, the cloud backup is more for, oh, my house burned down or I'm on vacation and I have to get this file that was deleted three months ago and I don't have access to a backup drive. So And
1: that's a perfectly valid use case as well.
0: Yeah, so my, my data patterns a little different than yours, Jack, in that I'm not looking for whole disk restores frequently, if ever. It's more of the, it's my insurance policy for if everything goes completely wrong.
1: Yeah, I don't maintain my own file server,
0: yeah, that's part that's of my
1: that way. trouble.
0: So I was looking at Backblaze's object storage option, which is a an S3 work-alike. Um, B2. It is, yeah, it is remarkably cheaper than S3. The B2 prices for the regular object storage are only slightly higher than Glacier, so it's a half a penny per gig month for storage, and two cents a gig for download. It fits my needs for my photo archive. I have three and a half terabytes of photos of kids and other things for the past 15 years that I really can't replace. But if my file server, my file server is RAID-Z2, so I can lose two drives simultaneously and still be okay. But if my file server has an absolute screaming meltdown or my house burns down or something else horrible happens, my thought is B2 would be my my insurance policy there. It's also a great place for small businesses to store longer term stuff that they need to have somewhere else but they're not
1: looking at opening the wallet to pay for s3 so b2 sort of fits in between glacier and ia probably in the s3 world of things which makes it more of an option for what brendan and i are trying to do um i'm b2 is awfully new and I'm not sure I have total faith in that as a uh, an option that's going to be around for the long haul. So for me, they've got some reputation to earn, but I totally in support of Backblaze making that offering because that's they can make some cash there if they'd like to and run that service well.
0: And again, it's a pay as you go, so I
1: have less
0: anxiety about it disappearing out from underneath me because. People are abusing the, the free storage tier. The trouble with using these pay-as-you-go models is, until you get into the paid support, there aren't a lot of easy-to-use graphical frontends to back up to them. There the, aren't. The only one that I really know of that I like so far is called Arc, spelled A R Q backup.com. dot In the show notes, it's fifty bucks for a license but it's a one-time purchase, and then it helps you manage all your data sets and all your places. You can set budgets for number of revisions of data to keep. You know, I want to I want to spend $10 a month on this this particular backup set and keep as many weekly backups as you can for that money. It'll, it'll do it because it knows what the storage pricing costs. It knows how these things work. It'll do inline deduplication of data. So it says, ah, I've already uploaded these files from your computer. I'm not uploading them again because they're already there. So it has a lot of interesting... It has a lot of interesting magic in it for that kind of thing, and it has a nice interface, for the for for folks who have a fear of the command line.
1: So, if I may dare to correct you, good sir, um, I believe their payment model is you pay once per major version, so you Sorry, pay you were- your fifty bucks and you get Arc Five. Uh, when Arc Six comes out, there's going to be a, a four-pay upgrade path. There you, is I stand a- corrected. Thirty dollar um, lifetime upgrade option that you can tack on. So it's it's not the most inexpensive, but if you look at if you're paying Crash Plan for a family plan fifteen dollars a month, um, that's really only a fraction of your yearly spend for a Crash Plan. So it's comparatively, it's not that expensive for your backups. And our um, arts- I-
0: Also, Arc's um, pricing model is licensed per user, not per computer. So if you have 10 computers, you are free to put it on all 10 of them. It's not one of those things where you need a license for your desktop and your laptop and your other laptop. Per
1: user or per server. That's kind of where they get you. I like that. But yeah, I like Arc. Um, I'm a Linux guy. I'm a command line junkie. The problem with my MacBook is... I suspend it a lot, it stays in my backpack, it travels with me, it's always on a different network, I'm always resuming it. So I was looking for a tool that would integrate itself well enough with the Mac ecosystem to be aware of what I was doing. And Arc does that pretty well. Um, I also wanted to point out that uh, Arc has native apps for Mac OS X. Um, and native apps for Windows, so no Java stupid. Yay! No Linux support. And that's the but, shame. <clears throat> alas. So, digging into what Arc does, uh, the what it does under the covers is what we call content-based addressing. So much like uh, using Git, we all use Git, right? Um, a file becomes a binary blob with a checksum, a SHA-256, some sort of secure uh, hash algorithm. And you store each binary blob by its uh, its hash sum. So if you have the same binary blob, you know it's already in your storage. Uh, similar, they store the directory tree, which hash blobs map to which file names, um, itself as another secure hashed data blob. So an incremental backup is uploading the, you know, the two hash blobs that's changed and another directory tree, which makes it very efficient for doing uh, continuous incremental backups. You never have to do a full backup ever again past the initial one. It also allows you really quite efficient.
0: It also allows you to encrypt your data before you send it because a hash blob of a, a hash of a binary blob that's encrypted is just a hash of a binary blob that's encrypted. It doesn't really matter. So ARC never sees, or the storage provider never sees any of your raw data. It's all encrypted before it gets there. So there's never any safety or security concerns on that sense as
1: long as you keep your keys secure. AES encryption, um, compression as well. ARC supports almost every cloud-based storage backend you can think of. Um, It supports S3, it supports um, life cycle patterns with S3 to move stuff to Glacier depending on your settings.
0: It even has the appropriate flags in it so when you're restoring from Glacier, you can throttle the download to keep it from charging you an arm and a leg. It supports B2.
1: So there's some definite advantages you get by shelling out 50 bucks for this
0: and small businesses can get a a mild discount to the pricing but again the arc developers make their incomes by selling this product to people so the the
1: income the the discount is not very large but in any case i especially if you're on a mac or windows machine since that's the only machine they support but yeah i totally recommend this product it works amazingly well there's a 30-day trial uh, which will get you sucked into the ecosystem i guess the backup format that they use is open documented there are open source tools available for downloading your your backups and recovering them so if you no longer have your arc license or something crazy happens arc shuts down and is no longer a company your backups are still recoverable. So on the Linux side, what
0: are you thinking of doing for the pay-as-you-go storage backups?
1: Well, as we move to the open source solutions, there's... Uh, sigh. <laughs> the there's several content-based addressing uh, solutions... Uh, really, one family that's that I like uh, that I would recommend. The issue being that it's hard to do content-based addressing uh, s- solutions like this on an S3 or object store. It's much easier to do them on a native file system. It's much easier to do them over SSH, and as I'm sure our listeners know, Git works fantastically over SSH to push repositories back and forth. It really doesn't work well at all with storing repositories in S3. And that's the problem that, I, that I've that i run into looking for backup solutions for Linux that can replace CrashPlan. What I'm looking at using is a backup tool called Borg, also in the show notes, which is a fork of Attic, I think we can get both of those in the show notes. Absolutely. Attic has more or less stop development for reasons. Um and development is going at a really nice pace uh in Borg, actively supported, actively maintained. Uh it does very similar uh content based addressing, backups, AES encryption, compression, Basically, all the features that Arc gives you in a command line uh, client that you can run and schedule yourself. Uh, What I do um, is I use rsync.net, which is a storage provider that provides an SSH-able target to a ZFS data store. The only thing I can really complain about rsync.net is that it's not quite uh, pay-as-you-go. You sign up for a 400 gig ZFS volume, and they give you, they provision you a 400 gig ZFS volume, and that's what you pay for. So there's the downside being that I have to manage my space a little bit more carefully. But the upsides are it's just an SSH target on the internet with a really fantastic bandwidth on a ZFS file system, which means I get daily snapshots for free. They, they have really excellent support and they don't play around with trying to be user friendly and graphical and hipster. It's an SSH target on the internet and a support email address and the support's pretty good.
0: My biggest hesitation for using rsync.net, I looked at them because my file server at home where my photo library lives is on a ZFS dataset, is the pricing model. Um, at $0.08 cents per gigabyte month for the entry tier of rsync.net, it put it out of my price, my, my price range for my data set. But if I was trying to do a smaller thing like a home directory, I think it would be great. So
1: rsync pricing. Do some research. Um, search around hacker news. There's some great articles and plugs for r on Hacker News, and, oh, why not? If you dig around enough on Hacker News, you'll notice that um, some of the sales guys from R-Sync have posted that if you sign up and request the Hacker News discount, uh, you'll get a lower rate. The rate that they give you for the Hacker News discount is quite significant. Um, I was very surprised. Um combining that with uh offers an encouragement to be billed annually instead of monthly. I've actually been able to get rsync.net down to three cents a gig month, uh and I still have uh, geo-redundant uh, uh copies of my data. That's tempting. I may have to look back into that. So yeah, they want their cash as well, uh, but they have they're willing to compete with folks. And retain their customers, and with the, and being that there are very few other companies out there that do what rsync.net does as well as they do, it makes it a really appealing, uh, a really appealing option besides S3. And honestly, just the ability to ZFS send
0: ZFS receive the data set uh-huh. sounds extraordinarily nice.
1: And here's the lovely thing. They maintain uh, S3 CMD on their systems, so you can upload and download from rsync.net to S3 as it suits your purpose.
0: Interesting. (laughs) Very. As a closing note, we're not going to really talk about the larger systems. Once you get into a medium-sized business or a large business, really the winner for doing backups off-site or backups at all is tape. And it's boring and it's old and it's stodgy, but tape is cheap. Like, it's really cheap. So, and... LTO
1: uh, Ultrium 7 cartridges are 6 terabytes T with a B-Y-T-E-S uh, per cartridge. A cartridge is only about 95 bucks, And you need a, a tape
0: drive in the library and control software, but that's Compared to the long-term cost of something like Glacier, it is cheaper to do tape. And a place like Iron Mountain that specializes in having off-site cold storage, at when, when you're paying on a long enough timeline, they charge about a dollar per month per tape. So you can get six terabytes for a dollar a month. That's pretty much unbeatable. Go. So most of what our discussion today has been about is for a small business or a an independent contractor who's trying to find a stable and solid way to do backups, not for a medium business or an enterprise, because there are are economies of scale that kick in once you get two large, two very
1: large data sets. Amazon doesn't uh, publish what backs Glacier, but we're pretty reasonable uh, to assume that uh, Glacier is mostly tape. Uh, There's probably some uh, near-line virtual storage that uh, rolls off to tape uh, and some Amazon custom sauce there in the middle. But I imagine most of that is tape. There were rumors at
0: one point that either they or Facebook were using large Blu-ray writing library. Um, basically yes, large... DVD blu- writers. But, but instead of being DVDs, they were Blu-rays. And so they could do terabytes and petabytes in a rack. And you just stack them up and you load them up and you just keep on going. And they were slow, but that was it didn't matter if they were slow. You
1: just needed some, some place to put the data. And I know Facebook does that. I've seen presentations from Facebook storage guys. Uh, yeah, if your selfies from six months ago are sitting on the Blu-ray. Because honestly, you
0: don't need them that quickly, even at Facebook scale. please take the time to rate the show on iTunes. It's the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows we've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave us a comment at the website, operations.fm. Send us your thoughts and email at feedback at operations.fm or use operations.fm on Twitter. That wraps it up for the 43rd episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. We have been Brendan Diesendorf. And Jack Neely. Thanks.